You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Advent, helping us remember the Sundays leading up to the coming of Christ, to Christmas morning. And so today we light the first candle, the candle of hope, of our anticipation of the arrival of Jesus, which has come thousands of years ago, but which is still coming every day more and more into our hearts. Let's pray. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, we just invite you into this space. We pray that you will continue to come. Come deeper into our hearts and lives. You will strengthen us by the power of your spirit. And today, we pray for the words that are read and spoken that they will come not in sounds and syllables, but they will come in power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus. Amen. Well, did you survive the gorge fest that is Thanksgiving? For those, no, you didn't. For those of us blessed to be able to eat a lot and still be able to say they didn't survive, you know, that's pretty good if you're able to say that you didn't survive. That's good. I guess it's a a holiday of a lot of eating, and it's at this point that we begin to plan our diet that's not going to take place now, but in January. That's when we'll start it. We've got to kind of blanket, work it in, right? Cover up what's going to happen, all the treats, all the goodies that are going to come our way. Food's a big deal. I don't know if food is a big deal to you or if it's no big deal. I don't know if you're someone who has to pay attention to what you eat where you're paying attention, you have to rule these things out because they're bad for you. Or whether you pay attention to the things you eat because I don't like those things, I'm not eating them, I'm gonna eat the things, all of them that I want. Maybe that's your diet, just paying attention to what you want to eat. Well, I don't know how things are for you, but I am on a diet and here's why. About nine months into our time here at first, I had a little bit of a medical episode. My blood pressure hit 190 over 110. We couldn't make sense of why. I don't know, maybe is it a minister in the midst of a pandemic? Is it my dad's recent cancer diagnosis? Uh, Is it hiring at first? Uh, Is it taking care of my grandmother who was recently widowed? who mom and dad couldn't take care of. Maybe some of those things might have contributed to it, but we couldn't figure it out. And it meant that I got landed in the ER where they checked me out fully and assigned me to a cardiologist. And so I I march in to the cardiologist to to get my instructions. And she said, well, what happened is you, you have high blood pressure. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense how I could have high blood pressure. I mean, I'm very active. Even on my birthday just a few weeks ago, I went on a 62-mile bike ride. Yesterday, I went on a 40-mile bike ride. How can I have high blood pressure? Well, it's a gift to me from my ancestors. They have provided this for me to deal with. It's something that's just there. And most people can handle that with a diet or with medicine. And my doctor said, well, here, we're going to get your medicine back where it needs to be. We're going to put you on the right stuff. And I have this diet for you. 
And I said, well, well, tell me a little bit about this diet. She said, okay, it's no red meat, it's no gluten, it's no sugar, it's no dairy, it's no fruit, because fruit is natural sugar, avoiding grains. And I just sat there kind of stunned and said, is carne atavada a red meat? <laughs> and she said, yes, it is a red meat. It's like, oh man. And then she went on, I was like, well, what can I eat? She said, well, you can eat fish and fowl. You can eat things that have fins or, or scales. It's like, okay, so, so birds and fish, I can do that. And you can have some limited dairy. Well, I've been on this diet now for two years. And without very few exceptions, sticking to it pretty heartily. And I feel good. I feel like it makes a big difference. In the morning, I'll have an egg or I'll have some unsweetened Greek yogurt with granola. At, at lunch, I'll have a salad, and I've done that for years. And, I, and I'm able to lean into this diet that she laid out for me. And so breakfast and lunch looks a little different. Dinner, maybe a little bit more normal. And it's for Donna, she said, this has totally taken the joy out of any cooking that I do. Just sucked the life right out of it. Are you on a diet? Are, are you supposed to be on a diet? Where you're supposed to be following and tracking along with something? I know what you're going to say. Oh, research is always changing. They tell you it's bad for you, and then they tell it's good for you. It's always, well, yes, I know that research changes. But are you supposed to be on a diet? Or are you one of these people that's like, I don't think I like that doctor. I'm ready to change doctors. I want a doctor that'll let me do what I want to do, that'll prescribe the medicine that I'm pretty sure is the medicine that I need. Well, on behalf of your family, let me ask you to get on that diet if you're supposed to be on that diet. Because my doctor, who's not a believer at all, said when she saw how I stuck on this diet, she said, you need to tell your church about this. You need to let them know, because they need to know what red meat does in the gut to build up plaque in the heart. They need to know how gluten is an inflammatory that makes your joints hurt and can inflame things in your heart as well. And so, here I am, on behalf of my doctor who is not a believer, speaking to you about my diet, exposing myself. And then there's Paul. The Apostle Paul, in our series together, gives diet advice and holiday advice too and so it's at this point if you're able to i'm going to invite you to stand for a reading from romans chapter 14 and i'm going to read just the first six verses of romans 14. welcome those who are weak in faith but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? It's before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day better than another while other judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. 
Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm hoping here that Paul was going to help me out with my diet. Because, of course, I would love some spiritual reasons no longer to be on this diet. And I'm counting on him to get me out of this fix. And here's how he enters into this diet advice. Welcome those who are weak. What? Yeah, don't just welcome them in to tell them how they're wrong or to fix them. Welcome those who are weak. And he lays out in in these verses, the first one through four, about eating. And he doesn't give a whole lot of description. It's kind of hard to tell ethnically what's going on. And then in verses five and six, he tells about days, days of the week that are special. And about all we can get out of him is that you've got vegetarians and people that eat meat. And I'm quite offended because it's the vegetarians who are thought of as weak. And I'm wanting, wanting him to help me out here. And maybe, maybe it does get me out of the diet. We'll see. Now, who is this Paul? We, we know who Paul is. Paul is a Pharisee. And you know the Pharisees. They love the law. They love the Torah with a capital T. They not only follow the written Torah, but they follow the oral Torah. The oral explanation called the Mishnah, eventually it gets written down in 200 A.D. So they follow the Torah and the Mishnah and the Talmud, which is the commentary on the oral tradition on the Torah. And it's all about purity. It's all about what foods are clean and who you can eat with and under what conditions you can be around certain people and when you need to be away from them. It's all of these purity laws. And so Paul the Pharisee comes and he provides for us this description that I'm looking to try to figure out what camp am I in and I can't make sense of it. I mean, what side are we supposed to be on when Paul doesn't bring this into religious debate or who, which ethnicity is right. I want to see the lines. I want to be able to choose sides. And instead, Paul's vague. He doesn't even use the word Jew and Gentile like he does in other letters. He doesn't bring out the code word circumcision or uncircumcised, these physical markers that would help us know religiously who's in the right and who needs to straighten up. He's vague. And he's vague to help us pay attention to the other. Do you know about othering? Turning other into a verb? Where you treat someone else as different from you because you've centered the universe based upon you. And that you are normal. And this other is different from you. Paul doesn't give us a bunch of practices. He doesn't spell it out. Instead, he gives us an attitude, a way of looking at things that's different. And the principle is pretty stunning. The principle comes in verse 20 and in verse 14. In verse 20, Paul says, everything is clean. In verse 14, Paul says, nothing is unclean. 
What? This is the Pharisee guy. This is the capital T Torah, Mishnah, Talmud guy. And he's coming along and saying, everything's clean. Nothing's unclean. What Paul says is radical. It's crazy. And I, and I look at it and I say, well, that's not a diet. That's permission. You can do whatever you want to. And it's very, very unpharisee. He is not a Pharisee in this. And I'm not finding any more clarity on my diet. Because he speaks to conservatives and liberals, he speaks to conservatives that, that take the law and follow the letter of the law and want to parse every element of the law, who lean into the law. And he also speaks to liberals who lean into the freedom, who lean into the permission that's there, the lack of restriction that's present. Who Paul is really leaning into is Jesus. Paul's not radical on his own. He uses the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 7, 14 to 19, where Jesus says, you know, there's nothing outside of a person that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. It's the overflow of their lives that makes them unclean. And lest we miss Jesus' point, Mark tells us, Jesus said this to declare all things clean. Jews, Gentiles, together, circumcised, uncircumcised, together, nothing is to be seen as unclean. It's radical. It's open. It's very permission-giving. And it might generate nothing more than a yawn from you today. Because you think, religious food laws? I don't really care about that. That's not me. I, I'm not into attaching religion to food, except for chocolate. I have a very religious connection to chocolate. No, I'm not talking about that. We're, we're a bit unfamiliar today with these kind of restrictions that Paul lays out. It doesn't make as much sense to us. But Paul, in this letter, has been building theology of getting us to think about our lives focused on Christ. To think about having a mind that's transformed. To think about owing other people only a debt of love. To think about wearing Christ like clothing, like armor of light wherever we go. To actually live in the dominion of God's grace. To not live in the dominion of darkness in the deeds of flesh. And Paul brings up all of this flowery theology and comes to this very practical, for them, point about food and days of the week. And he lays out opinion and what he's a little more firm on. Here he lays out that opinion is these food laws, these dietary laws, food and drink, days of the week, that does not matter. And so we, we wonder, well, what does matter? And there are places where Paul is firm. There's places where he lays things out that it's not just a matter of, of what you think about food. It's how you act. And so he brings up, like in 1 Corinthians 9, our sexuality, the way we treat money, the way we turn things into God's the way we might slander or harm another person, being given over to drunkenness or stealing other people's possession. And again, it's the same difference here that Jesus talked about 
And what he's saying even with the food law, it's not so much what goes into you, what's on the outside, it's what comes from your heart and flows outward into the world. Nothing is unclean. Everything is clean. Well, there's three things that I want to point out today. Three things that help us maybe unpack this chapter a bit more clearly. And then one big thing at the end that sews those three together. So the first. The first comes in the first six verses that we read today. The people are different. And we should not judge based upon those differences. We should not despise people because of their different approaches to food. In fact, he uses in verse 4 this understanding that you don't look at another master and see how their servants act and judge them. You let them serve their master. Let people be different. People are going to come to different points on the same topic. Instead, they're to be convinced in their own mind. So that's the first one, the first six verses of Romans. I want you to look quickly at the next few verses. Verse 7. We don't live to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess and give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. So the second thing is about our actions. Our actions are meant to honor God. Our actions are also meant to give thanks to God. We bow the knee to God. We confess with our lips that God is God. And so our actions are supposed to pay attention because we answer to God. And that's quite important. It affects how we treat other people. It affects the way that we deal with others. Maybe the best example I can give of these first two is in terms of alcohol. Scripture doesn't say, don't ever take a sip of alcohol. Bless you if that is the path that you are on. There are places in Scripture where it says, don't be given to drunkenness. But in a passage like this, we're supposed to pay attention to something beyond ourselves. To think about, am I drinking knowing that there is an alcoholic in the room? That's where you move out of yourself and you're answering to God and showing love to your brother and your sister. Well, I said there were three, so I've got one more. First, that people are different and we need to allow them to be different, to not judge them, to not despise them. To second, to let all of our actions honor God, give thanks to God. And this third one is from verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. God has invited the weak and the strong. It is God's party, and he invited weak people and strong people into this party. Now think about that for a minute. This is God's together party. 
He gets to choose who is a part of it and who is in it. And He invites weak and strong. However you might be classified, whether weak or strong. Right now I'm falling in that almost vegetarian category, right? So I'm in that weak category. But He encourages us to live based upon our conscience. In verse 22, verse 15, and verse 4. Because in the kingdom of God, this is God's work of bringing people together. It's not ours. Now, sometimes we try to take over for God's work, and we can destroy God's work by not pulling people together, by not including them, even when they're crazy and off the wall. Instead, we are to focus not on food and drink, verse 14, but the kingdom of God is about what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about God. And I need to not be so worried about getting everyone to my conclusions, to get them to think as I think. Christians are different from one another. And instead, we're invited into this life in the kingdom of God. Which brings us to the bigger point, this one that threads it all together. I think verse 22 really says some big things. That no, it's not about food and drink. But it says a big thing, that Christians can believe different things and allow others to be judged by God for those differences of belief. We allow someone who believes differently than us to stand before God and let God take care of things. That's a pretty stunning point. That's something to, to, to wrestle with and think about. We're supposed to be the kind of people that are convinced in our own hearts. We understand what we believe. We're able to provide reasons. We don't want to just get swayed here and there. But we allow others to serve God according to their conscience. And I pull us back to a verse that I kind of slid over in verse 4. Because when I first read it, I thought, well, it's just about servants of all these different people that are at church. Don't be so concerned about another servant as they are honoring their Lord. And then it really caught me this week. Oh, we are all the servants. We're serving the one Lord. And a lot of times, we're serving the Lord differently. And that means different consciences, different faiths, different practices. And so we have to allow one another to be different. And so I kind of come and I huff and I puff because I thought this passage might help me ditch this diet. And maybe in some ways it does, right? If he calls me weak, maybe I can let go of all these various vegetables. Well, it's not so much about that. It's not about me quitting my diet or me trying to convince you that you need to go on my diet. It's not about trying to find a, a new doctor to get me off of this diet. Which I did, by the way. Because <laughs> I, I got this letter from my doctor in May that said, I'm going to be moving my practice to Fort Worth. And I was like, well, Fort Worth? I can't travel that far. Why would anyone want to move to Fort Worth? They gave us like three weeks and, and we were on our own to find a new cardiologist. Well, I just got in with a new doctor. She was pretty smart. She just asked what I was on. She asked what I was eating. And she said, oh, that's a pretty restrictive diet. 
And she didn't make a judgment on it. She said, well, how do you feel on the diet? I said, well, I feel, feel pretty good. I feel like I'm at a, in a good level, sweet spot. I feel more active, more, more vibrant. She said, okay. And I said, well, is there anything that you would change? And she said, well, I'm, I'm a little more on the Middle Eastern diet, so you can do some more natural things. You can add in some fruits. I was like, that's good. And, and you can even celebrate and have some carne adivada. And I said, that is really good. And so I did that over Thanksgiving. Well, Paul hasn't supported crumpling up these diets and throwing them away or forcing a new diet on others. It's not about right and wrong. He wants us to believe and know and be able to support what we do practice. Here at First Christian, we are becoming our best selves. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. We're on the way. And if you're a follower of Jesus who's struggling to make sense of life and want a group of people that is similarly struggling to make sense of your life, then this is a good place for you. We worship together weekly to remind ourselves of who is God and that we're not. We gather in groups so that we're in these smaller gatherings to pray for one another. Groups of all ages that help strengthen us in this journey of following Jesus together. Because this is God's together story. We're a mix of weak and strong, and it's all one big party for God. First Christian is a place where we are very, very strong on faith. And we want to be weak on opinions. Led by faith in the God who is over us all, and not led by the opinions that distract us and lead us astray. Because we know what's core. We know what's at the center. Christ Jesus, who is Lord, who is our Messiah, whom God raised from death and brought to life again. And we were a people that find our way into that story by finding our way into water, being baptized. We come up out of that water, dripping wet for a time, recognizing that our sins have been washed away. Recognizing that we've put on Christ, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're living that eternal life, not on some cloud after we die, but right now, living together with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And we invite you into this together story. Let's pray. O oh, great one, eternal God, the one who has given life, and the one who allows life to continue. The one who feeds us life by the power of Christ and through your Holy Spirit. We ask that you will continue to draw us together, weak and strong, to be devoted followers of Jesus. We thank you for times of celebration, special days and ordinary days. We thank you for all the food that you've given us. And we pray that we'll be a people that that honor you with every action that we do, that we'll be a people who give thanks to you with every word that we say. And God, we pray your blessings on us as together with you we live this together story through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.